0: Good morning. Easter Friday lies behind us, and we celebrate today the joy of the resurrection. And it's appropriate, I think, to read from 1 Corinthians 15 as Paul writes to the Corinthian church about the resurrection and reminds them of certain things. And I'd like to read it this morning in the message. And it's a fairly long passage, but I think it's worth reading in its entirety. So 1 Corinthians 15 Friends, let me go over the message with you one final time. This message that I proclaimed and that you made your own. This message on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy, that you're in this for good and holding fast. The first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me. That the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as Scripture tells it. That he was buried, that he was raised from death on the third day. Again, exactly as Scripture says. That he presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers all at the same time, most of them still around, although a few have since died. That then he spent time with James and the rest of those he had commissioned to represent him, and that he finally presented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle. As you well know, having spent all those early years trying to my, my best to stamp God's church right out of existence, but because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am, and I'm not a let, about to let go of the grace let His grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others? even then? My work didn't amount to all that much. It was God giving me the work to do. God giving me the energy to do it. So whether you heard it from me or those others, it's all the same. We spoke God's truth. And you entrusted your lives. Now let me ask you something profound yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive risen from the dead, how can you let people say that there's no such thing as the resurrection? If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. And everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of bare-faced lies about God. All those affidavits we passed on to you verifying that God raised up Christ, sheer fabrication, if there is no resurrection. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark, as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection, because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up. The first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave their cemeteries. The truth is that Christ has been raised up. The first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. The resurrection of Jesus inaugurates a new world order. It's the beginning of a new kingdom, a whole new way of doing things, a new life, a new lifestyle. Love, compassion, kindness, justice, peace, joy. That's the template for this new kingdom, this new world order that is inaugurated and uh, ushered in with the resurrection of Jesus. We have a tendency to want to manage and control and to um, exert kind of power over others, to rise above others. Jesus brings in a new kingdom with humility and service, not lording it over others. So I say it again, there is a new world order because of the resurrection. There is a new kingdom that is ushered into existence, and it's in and through who you and I are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, justice, so many other things that Jesus showed us when he was here. The resurrection seals the promise of this new and better way of life. Now, a promise is an amazing thing. It's the hope of something in the future it draws us forward. A promise actually changes the way we behave. And the people who do all the kind of uh, sales and marketing, the politics, the advertising that's all around us, they all know this. And so there are hundreds and thousands of things hung out before us as a promise of something new, something better all the time. And the idea is that it shapes the way we behave. Well, the resurrection is exactly the same sort of thing. It's the, it's the real issue of the promise of the future, the hope that we live towards as those who believe in Jesus. It's not this empty promise that will always take you somewhere and then drop you. The promise that we have in Jesus in terms of the seal of the resurrection is that God fulfills his promise. God always delivers And he's in there for the long haul. Sometimes we don't see it immediately. But the substance of who God is, because he is love, means that he's not there tricking us. He's there bringing us to the fulfillment, the place of fullness of life that he has for each one of us. The promise of God, the promise of resurrection, of full life, of abundant life, is being birthed and flowering in us each and every day. And sometimes we just need to see that in a fresh way. We need a fresh perspective. And Easter is always a good time for us to reflect on the fact that the fullness of God's life is in us. I'd like to read what is perhaps a surprising verse on Easter Sunday. And it's from Luke chapter 1, the birth narratives of Jesus, the infancy narratives as they're called. And this is before Jesus is even born. Here is the incident in Luke 1 with Mary and um, Elizabeth. It's Luke 1, 39 to 45. And again, I'm reading from the message. Mary didn't waste a minute. This is after the Annunciation where the angel has come to her and told her, announced to her what God's plans and intentions are for her. She got up and traveled to a town in Judah in the hill country, straight to Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leapt. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and sang out exuberantly. You're so blessed among women, and the babe in your womb also blessed. And why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord visits me? The moment the sound of your greeting entered my ears, the babe in my womb skipped like a lamb for sheer joy. Blessed woman who believed what God said, believed every word would come true. And Mary said, I'm bursting with good news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. You get the sense that in this moment of encounter, there is just almost too much energy and life and joy to be contained in language. When Mary comes to Elizabeth, and just when she hears her greeting, the baby in her womb leaps. There is this burst of life. And she was filled with the Holy Spirit and sang exuberantly. So she bursts into a spontaneous song. Blessed among women are you, your baby is so blessed. Why am I so blessed that the mother of the Lord visits me. The moment the sound of your greeting entered my ears, the babe in my womb skipped like a lamb for sheer joy. When the Christ child, when Jesus himself is birthed within us, when we receive him into ourselves, there is that sense, that moment of leaping for joy. There is that tremble of sheer powerful life and energy. The risen Christ finds his way into who we are, and he is birthed in us. Thomas Merton, the monk uh, who died some years ago, says this in a poem, Make ready for the Christ whose smile, like lightning, sets free the song of everlasting glory that now sleeps in your paper flesh like dynamite. It's as if the glory of God, the sense of pure energy and joy is just so overwhelming. It's like a a whole chunk of dynamite in a paper bag. Something leaps within us. There There is a springing up of life that comes with the presence of God, with the presence of Christ, as he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And he says to us again on this day, I am the resurrection and the life. And that life isn't just a little bit. I hope you're getting the sense that it's this overwhelming flood of joy, of the fullness of God that comes rushing into our lives in a new way. Not just once, but over and over and over again. And that's the point of our dying to ourselves and being raised to new life in Christ. The death of Jesus, Good Friday, is either the end of everything or the beginning of something profoundly and utterly unimaginably good. The inauguration of a new world order, a new kingdom, that the resurrection sets the seal on, that God's approval is on exactly what Jesus is and who he is and what he has done. We live in a life that is victorious, that is worth taking a risk on. And to go back to what we read immediately at the beginning, it says, if corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And what Paul is trying to drive home in a blunt fashion is that at the center of our understanding of our faith and of who Jesus is, is this understanding of the resurrection. Not only as a historical event, not only in the fact that Jesus himself is raised, but that in him we are raised to new life, that we participate in his resurrection and we look forward to the fullness of what that resurrection life is in the future. That's the promise, that's the hope that we have as his followers, as his children. So the father upholds Jesus and all that he's done and everything that he is, is truly given to us. So our hope is in the fact that God backs up his promise, not only to his son Jesus to raise him from the dead, but to us in terms of the way he gives us the same life that he has raised in and through Jesus into us as we participate in his life. Paul writes the Ephesian Church, and he talks in chapter 1 extensively about our inheritance and about the fact that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the payment of our inheritance up front, a down payment, a, a trust, a promise that what God says, God does, and that sometimes even if we have to struggle through the messiness of life as it is now and the world that we see so broken around us and even in us. The hope and the promise is that resurrection life, the fullness of everything God has, the new world order, has been inaugurated. The kingdom is coming. Maybe not in its fullness quite yet, but yet there is this positive, real hope that we are seeing more and more and more of the grace and power of God in and through us. So Paul writes all that in in, in in Ephesians chapter 1, that he's pledged himself, he's shown exactly what he's about, and that he will fulfill it. Some years ago, I told a story um, in Stellenbosch, and as a result, one of the young students had this a friend of hers um, uh, paint this picture and I'll show it to you now. It's a story of a sailor who was sailing somewhere in the Pacific. I'm not even sure if it's a real story. In fact, it's probably uh, it's probably not. But he encounters this dreadful storm, and he, his boat is wrecked, his yacht is wrecked on um, this small island on the rocks, and he manages to... Uh, miraculously escape with his life and is flung up on, on the beach. And in the morning, after the darkness of the storm, when he wakes and he is able to assess what's happened, he finds that he's on this tiny little island and he starts to look to salvage some of the stuff of the wreckage of his yacht. And over the next days, he sees that he sources water and he starts to explore and he makes himself a shelter and continues to gather the flotsam and jetsam of what was available and what manages to wash up on the shore. And there is very little hope for him. And then one day when he's off foraging, looking for food on the other side of the island, he notices a plume of smoke. And he rushes back to where his campsite was to find that something somehow has caught the sun and has set off a fire and it has burnt absolutely everything that he's managed to salvage. And after his struggles of the shipwreck and the trying to to make a bit of a life. This is just overwhelming and he's, he's disconsolate. He lies down that night on the beach with no shelter and completely distraught and eventually falls asleep late in the night. And in the early dawn of the morning, he's awoken by the sound of the noise of voices. And he looks up and wakes up and looks up and there anchored off the island is the ship and rowing towards the beach is the small boat with a few men coming towards him. And as they draw close to him, they yell out to him, we saw your smoke and we came. And that's what the picture says. We saw your smoke and we came. We live, in, we live in times where it seems so much is going up in smoke. It seems that there's been this massive storm. We have seen maybe ourselves and others around us shipwrecked and trying to salvage what they can of their lives to build again, only to find that at some point it goes up in smoke. The resurrection is that voice coming across the water saying, I saw your smoke, so I came. We are all sinners. We are all suffering. We are all broken and um, in need of healing and wholeness. It is only Jesus who is the resurrection and the life who can bring that exuberant sense of joy and vital life into and for us again. Paul writing to the Colossian church in Colossians 3, 1 to 3, says this, and I'll end with this. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert for what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. In other words, see things from the perspective of the resurrection. See things from the perspective of of life, from the new world order, the new kingdom of love and joy and peace and justice and kindness. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. And we looked last week at that verse that unless a grain of, um, uh, unless a, a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone by itself. But if it does get into the ground, if it dies, then it bears much fruit. There is only resurrection after death. But the resurrection is a life full with joy. We saw your smoke, so we came.